0: Do we believe that our internal passions determine what is true for us? Or do we believe that there is a real truth, and that we must seek to discover it, and then base our lives upon it? Consider the seventh commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery, isn't it trumped by the higher standard of our quest for personal happiness and maximum life experience? As we continue our study of Acts chapter 17, let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, and find how the Jews of Berea discovered what real truth is. Coach Sandusky, you've all probably been nauseated by listening to the testimony of one of the most powerful, influential coaches. In all of Pennsylvania, some of the members of our church even have close relationships in that area of Pennsylvania with those families that are involved, and we were blown away by the fact that for year after year after year, someone could be sexually abusing young boys, and you're all horrified by that, right? Okay, that's the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery in the seventh commandment isn't just covering what happens with a married couple, but it stands for, like in Leviticus, for example, seventeen eighteen. it goes on and talks about incest. It goes on and talks about bestiality. It talks about a lot of different kinds of perverted sexuality that you have. So the push of the Old Testament, which would people that have studied the Jewish scriptures for years understand, this isn't just like, you look at this rule, I can't commit adultery, but I can abuse little boys. You all understand that, right? And right now in this audience, almost all of you buy that. Our culture buys that. All the news coverage, like I didn't hear any news coverage saying, well, Sandusky was born that way. He was born with an attraction to little boys, and, and he was born with an incredible passion, and he has this internal passion, and he brings great joy and fulfillment to himself by doing this, and therefore he needs to do it. Nobody said that. There was another story that you might have missed, but if you watched 2020, they had Riel Hunter. She's the one that had an affair with John Edwards during the presidential campaign. Remember that? Okay, she just wrote a book. And the reason she wrote a book is she's explaining herself to the nation. So in 2020, for a couple hours, they interview her, and then they even followed up with Nightline and everything. What did Riel Hunter say? She said, Well, I really wanted to help Edwards. I believed I could make him more personable. So I met him in a hotel. I told him he was hot. And he invited me to his hotel room, and love struck. We had one of the most incredible evenings that we've ever had. In fact, that went on for months. In fact, it's still in my heart going on. Real 100 you know, this is it. This is the meaning. And she becomes pregnant. They talk about all the cover-up and everything. And you all know that they just had a big trial. Was he guilty of using illicit funds? And, and then, you know, they said, no, he wasn't guilty of that. But our culture right now, to be honest with you, most of our culture isn't really ready to say that the seventh commandment is passé. Even the interrogator for 2020 is saying, hey, he was married to Elizabeth. And she says, but yeah, but Elizabeth and John, they hadn't had a relationship for years. It was a con. It wasn't really real. And what we had was real. And now we produced a beautiful little girl. Most of you aren't really ready to buy it, but I'll bet you that some of you right here in this room have gone to lunch with a friend at work, and their friend at work says, you know, I've been in a bum marriage, and they've told you for two or three years at work that their husband really, really isn't with them. And they haven't slept together in many, many years. And they don't have any relationship. And they just have a cold hostility in their home. And now they've met. They went on a vacation. And they tell you about this incredibly gorgeous man that they met. And he's Brazilian. And he's sexy. And he's erotic. And he's patient. And he's gentle. And he's the most beautiful man that ever lived. And I feel alive, your friend tells you, when I'm with him. What do you tell your friend then? Some of you have told your friend, that's Okay. Because you're not really committed to the Seventh Commandment. What you're committed to, and many in our society are committed to, is that this is what I feel. This is the true love of my life. Real Hunter said over and over again, this is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me. I I, I never dreamt it would happen. I found the meaning of life. And so what Real Hunter's God is, is what I feel inside. What's your God? And what your God is is what you believe is true. What do you believe is true? Another big area that's really controversial right now, President Obama just a few weeks ago said that homosexual marriage is what he favors. How did he come to that position? Well, I'll tell you how he came to that position because what you do is you say social justice. Like he's really committed to social justice. So the idea is that I take the African-American situation in slavery and how they were abused, and I use all the arguments that were used of how biblical believers were in favor of slavery and then I use that to argue that that's what the Bible really teaches them, and what the Bible really taught in the Old Testament about homosexuality. What it really taught in Romans one about the fact that that men exchange the natural use of women for for one another and women did the same thing and Paul makes a very strong attack of saying that we're under the wrath of God he goes on in chapter 2 to say that we're also under the wrath of God for being pridefully religious and, and believing that we're better than everyone else we use all of that kind of reasoning to say we're in a new day now we're in a new day and the Bible was antiquated when it said in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 that a man shouldn't sleep with a man like he sleeps with a woman And now in the name of justice, we're now going to give them the freedom because they were born like that. They have incredible passions and desires. And we've all determined from scientific evidence that two gay men and two lesbian women can raise kids just as good as everyone else. In fact, maybe even better. And that's where a lot of your society is. Now, most of you in this room get really angry about that, but I want you to think through what are we saying in our culture? Rio Hunter is saying that truth is located in my internal passions. President Obama is saying is that truth is when I listen to the most progressive liberal theologians that supposedly really understand the message of the Bible, and I'm now in the name of a higher principle of social justice, even in line with Jesus, who Jesus told us not to judge. All that goes on and on. That becomes my basis for truth. Let me give you a big one that's even bigger than those issues, okay? The seventh commandment is a big one. What about the idea that you need to receive Jesus as your king? You need to receive Jesus as the Lord of heaven and earth. You need to receive Jesus as the one that in him you move and have your being. That you need to receive Jesus because all the world is not good. They're not in the light. They're rebels. They've rejected you. We need to go and tell them that there's an incredible God who sent his son into the world who's fully divine. And on Calvary, he stretched his arms, not just for Americans that were raised in Protestant New England or Protestant Texas, but we had 26 guys here that are going to go home today. And some of them go to countries where they might be in prison, and some of them could lose their life because they're telling others, you need to receive Jesus. So what do you believe about truth? For example, if you have Jewish friends at work, it's very, very important for you to be able to express to them that your Jewish friends need to really try to obey the the Torah. Like if they're secular Jews, you want to move them towards Orthodox Judaism because they need to enjoy their great Orthodox religion that has really good morality. And you need to challenge them to really obey their Judaism. And they don't need to receive your Jesus. Because everybody knows that your truth is truth for you. But it's not truth for a Jew. In other words, it's important for you as a Texas Protestant to believe that Jesus died on the cross. But it's not important for a New York Jew that was raised as a Hasidic Jew to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So you're not going to try to do that. Well, I want you to think about what we've been studying about in the book of Acts. What we've been studying in the book of Acts, you wouldn't be here today if first century people believed what I just said. None of you. How many of you think it's precious to know your sins are forgiven? How many of you think it's precious to know that when you die, you know you're going to be out from the body and present with the Lord? How many of you believe it's really important to know that I just can receive a free gift, no matter what I've done? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse me from every sin, and I can receive the gift of eternal life. You think that's precious? You would not have that unless the Apostle Paul, with his psychic silence, believed you needed to walk into a Jewish synagogue and you needed to try to explain to the Jewish synagogue that their scriptures taught that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the son of David, that Jesus fulfilled all the Messianic prophecies of their Jewish scriptures, that their Jewish scriptures predicted that that Messiah would suffer and give his life as a sacrifice for sins. And then their Jewish scriptures says he would rise again. And then they would argue like that for weeks and weeks in the synagogue. And then they would say, they would be declaring throughout those weeks, and we know him. And we want you to know him too. What do you believe about that? My question to you today, and especially to the young people, Most of you, mom and dad, are with me. You buy this. But I want you to know your teenagers don't buy what I just said. A lot of them. Because truth for them, you see, what they believe, this is a very dominant belief. It's dominant at the high school. Tons of kids believe it. It's dominant where Paul teaches over at TCU. The basic idea is this. I know that in the area of science and the physical world, I know that if I go to New York City and jump off the Empire State Building, that irrespective of what I saw in the Spider-Man movie, I will not swing from building to building. Like, how many of you believe that if you get up on the Empire State Building, dress in, in a Spider-Man suit, that if you jump off the Empire State Building, just like you see in the Spider-Man movies, that you'll swing from building to building? How many believe it'll happen? You know why you believe that? Because you all believe the truth of gravity. I don't care if you're in Taiwan. I don't care if you're in Beijing. I don't care if you're in Moscow. I don't care where you are. Gravity is true. Okay, you all believe that for the most part when it comes to physical things. Your young people and some of you don't believe it when it comes to moral and spiritual things. What I'm telling you is that the scripture says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You commit adultery and you just jumped off a building. You commit homosexual relationships, you jumped off a building. If you lie, you jumped off the building. If you steal, you jumped off a building. And I want you to know it doesn't make any difference how many polls you take. It doesn't make any difference how many sociologists do studies on it. You're going to only get to live this life once. What I want to challenge you as a church family about, Mary and I have decided to be Bereans. That's what I want to talk about today. Mary and I decided when we were really young to be Bereans. And now we've lived our life. We've raised our kids. We're trying to raise our grandkids. We've chosen to live our lives. And we've decided where we believe truth is. And I want to ask all of you, where do you believe truth is? And the great path to do that is to turn to Acts chapter 17. Because there's a group of people called the Bereans that the Apostle Paul got to present the good news to in Acts chapter 17, Verse 10. And as we begin the passage, the Apostle Paul had just gotten thrown out of the synagogue and out of the city of Thessalonica, which was about three days' journey farther to the north. And so we begin with the night escape. They have to split. They have to run because the enemies in Thessalonica have risen up against them and they've made false charges. They're really heavy duty charges. They said that Paul and Silas had been telling the people, the Roman citizens, including the Jewish people, that Jesus was the king. Did they say that? Yes. Well, then they went on and said, well, they also spoke against Caesar and that wasn't true. You see, the Apostle Paul and Silas did teach that Jesus is the ultimate king, but they didn't teach that they should be rebellious against Nero in Rome or Claudius in Rome. They, they, they didn't teach against, they didn't teach insurrection. So this is the way your enemies will attack you. They'll tell the half-truth. So Paul and Silas have to run away from Thessalonica by night. Look what it says in 17, verse 10. It says, as soon as it was night, the brothers that sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So the first thing we have is the night escape, and the brothers helped them to do that. What I want to underscore in your thinking is that if you're going to believe what I just said about truth, how many of you believe this truth is found in God's revealed word? That the Jewish scriptures is the source where you can find truth. Okay. What I want to tell you, if you really believe that, then you're going to have people that reject you. You're going to have people that persecute you. There are going to be people that that physically try to do things to you, emotionally try to do things to you. And I want you to pray for me because, to be honest with you, one of the hardest things for me to take is rejection. I don't like rejection. So when people reject me, I don't like it. And my tendency from a human standpoint is to say, fine. And in this area, I can't do that. For you as a church family, what I want you to know, I can't have rejection. I can't have, whether it's in society, whether it's among friends, wherever it might be, I can't allow the fact that some people don't buy the teaching of the truth of God's Word. I can't let that deter me from going on, and either can you. How many of you have ever been rejected because you believe the Word of God? Well, what I want you to realize is what we're learning in the book of Acts is what Jesus taught us is that when they persecute you and say all manners of evil against you, for my sake, blessed are you, because that's what they did to the Old Testament prophets contrary to very basic American belief that we all need to be nice to each other. We don't want to have any confidence everything. I want you to know if you really believe what I said about truth, and if I really believe what I said about truth, then we need to be ready. We don't want to be rejected because we're wrong and because we don't have right attitudes and because we do evil. I'm not talking about that at all. We need to be very humble about that. We need to ask for forgiveness for that. We need to be very open about that. But when we're persecuted, when we're rejected, when we're abused, because of our commitment to truth We need to take it I also want you to know Because it will relate to mission, trips we gone and everything Sometimes there's a time to run The Bible doesn't always tell you to stay and fight All of you that were trained in the military know Some of the wisest generals knew when to retreat And to gather for another day in another place And that's what's happening here The Apostle Paul and Silas don't stay and get killed in Thessalonica They almost got killed in Lystra Paul did get killed, and the Lord brought him back from a stoning. And I want to whet your appetite for the book of Acts because it'll it'll give you great wisdom. One of the things the book of Acts is teaching is when it gets really hot in a city, you need to let the brothers get you out of there at night, and getting out there at night is a smart plan. You know, You want to go out under cover of darkness. They snuck them out, just like in the beginning of Paul's ministry in Damascus. They put them over the wall. All that is in the book of Acts, and it's teaching you, you need to be wise as a serpent, harmless as the duck. Sometimes you need to go to more fertile ground. You need to escape in the night, and then you need to go to a new receptive audience. Some of you have some friends that you've worked and worked and worked, and they antagonize you. Some of you have family members. And you, some of you right now, you need to let it go. Let them go. Pray for them. Don't keep arguing with them. Some of you have family gatherings where every time you get together, you end up nobody talking because you argue over Jesus. If you presented the gospel, if they know what you really believe, sometimes you need to let things go and pray. Ask the Lord to work. Give him time. He's working in that person's heart. But sometimes you need to move on to fertile ground. You understand that? The second thing I want you to know is that there really is fertile ground. They come into Berea and I want you to see that they don't get discouraged. If I were Paul, you'd probably read in the next verse, it says arriving there, Dave decided he was going to go back to tent making because man, this is a bad deal. Every place I present the gospel and tell them about Jesus being the Messiah, I get wiped out. So I'm going to go back to tent making, not Paul and Silas. They do go back to tent making, but they go right back into the synagogue again. And that's what we need to learn to do. Be persistent. We need to keep moving into new areas. We need to keep trying to reach new groups of people. We need to keep working on those connections. The Apostle Paul and Silas, they went to the Jewish synagogue and they had a different audience. And I want you to see the characteristics of an audience. And you're going to find people like this. What are the qualities that help someone really find the truth? Will Riel Hunter really find the truth? You need to pray for her. As long as she says, my internal feelings determine what's true for me, and I could care less. She never said, I'm sorry I committed adultery. What she said is, I'm not the first woman that went to bed with a married man. How would you buy it if Coach Sandusky said, hey, I'm not the first older man that went to bed with a teenager? You buy that? How many of you buy that? No, you're repulsed by it. But you're not repulsed nearly as strongly, and I'm not either, because we're shaky on adultery real hunter man if she really felt it and if edward really felt it and if they produced a beautiful love child and man if they can get married to live heavily ever after man that must be right what you're saying is i believe this is the truth where do you find truth look where the bereans find truth it says that the bereans were more noble-minded they were more noble-minded than the thessalonians and what that word, the word noble minded is usually used in Greek for someone that is well born, that they're from a good family, but, the, but it comes to mean this. When you hear a message, do you open your heart and fairly, with an open heart, listen and try to understand it? Are you automatically turned off and bigoted without even giving the person a chance? Like when you listen to somebody, What it means to be noble-minded is, for example, when someone begins to teach you, like this relates to this morning, as I'm teaching you, it's very possible if real Hunter was here, she'd already be really angry. I know, for example, some of my, my friends that are homosexual, they'd be absolutely furious. Some of you are furious because you really buy into the idea, hey, they were born that way. No one has the right to tell someone what they do in bed with somebody else. It's totally bigoted. In fact, it leads to little kids being beat up and abused that are more on that side. And I promise you, if I said that in a second university campus, like in the next chapter we study, people would really be furious. What I want to ask you is, are you really open-minded? Do you really want to think about the truth? And the Bereans are telling you something. In your life, the first decision I want you to make is, will you be a person that really wants to know the truth? Do you really want to know the truth? Will you open your heart to listen to the truth? Or will you get in your camp, and you've already decided what's going to be truth for you? The Bereans are telling us something very, very important. There are people in the world that are open their hearts to truth. And what I want to share with you is that Scripture really teaches that anyone that really, really in the depth of their being wants to know the truth, they'll eventually come to Jesus. John said it this way, that those who are of the light will come to the light, that it might be shown that the things that they did were done by the light. Jesus is the light that lighteth every person that come to the world. Anybody in the world that really, really wants has an open heart towards God. And we're going to learn more about that next week when we study about how Paul reached out to a total pagan audience. So the first attribute of our character, my character and yours, that we want to ask ourselves is, do we have an open-hearted, unbigoted willingness to listen to someone that's teaching us, especially when it comes to ultimate spiritual values and moral values? The second thing it says is, okay, where are you going to find truth? Where do you think you can find truth? And a whole bunch of you have been raised in churches that really believe the Bible isn't the truth. I've read tons of literature this week that says we need to really evaluate the Bible based upon the latest sociological studies. Well, I just said that sociological studies are much more authoritative than God's Word. In fact, you ladies, it's very important for you to follow the latest medical advice. In the 70s, you were absolutely told you cannot drink during your pregnancy. If you have one glass of wine, you have terribly destroyed your little infant. What was the latest report from the medical community? Maybe you can have one. Maybe it's even good for your baby to have one. Which one are you going to believe? In your society, as soon as I tell you, like if I tell you I'm a preacher, you don't need to listen to that. But if I tell you that I'm a PhD in psych, Which carries more weight? Someone that knows the Bible or someone that knows psychology? Someone that knows psychology in our culture for the most part. Deep inside your heart, you're answering the question, where do you find truth? And what I want you to know is that I made a commitment in my heart, I believe we find truth in the pages of this precious book. Did you hear what I just said? I believe that you find truth, and you find truth in the page of this book, but it's not like a magical thing. It's literature. You're going to have to read it in its order. You're going to have to have an open-hearted attitude like the Bereans. The Bereans believed that this was the place to find truth. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Look what it says. They didn't even listen. How many of you think, man, you need to listen to the Apostle Paul? How many would agree? Should we listen to the Apostle Paul or not? So anything he said in the synagogue, you should believe it. How many think that's true? And then Paul tells you, hey, I saw Jesus shine to me in the Damascus Road. So when the Bereans said, the Apostle Paul, I don't know whether he did or not, but if the Apostle Paul gave his testimony, one of the Bereans raised his hand and said, Paul, I'm not going to believe this morning based upon your vision of the Damascus Road. I've met lots of people that saw lights in the middle of the afternoon, and some of them were just having heat stroke. Do you mind, Paul, during this week if I go back and read the Jewish scriptures? How did Paul respond to that? Look what it says. It says the Bereans were noble. It says they received the message with great eagerness. So they listened eagerly to Paul and they examined. And the word there, those of you that are lawyers, this is the word that you're really familiar with. It's what the lawyers did in examining the witnesses that testified against Sandusky. It's what we're going to have in the trial of Paul when they bring in witnesses. And Felix, the Roman governor, he analyzes, he cross-examines, he uses his reason. How many of you think Sandusky's guilty? Why do you believe that? The big thing across the thing was, will we believe little boys? Well, you see, what you did in the court, you listened to one testimony after another, and then you evaluate it, you, know, you look at times, dates, and places, That's why we have courts. I want you to do that with the Bible. I want to ask you, how many of you have done that with your Bible this week? It says the Bereans searched when? Daily. To see whether or not these things were true or not. And I want that to be the heartbeat of you as a child of God. I want it to be the heartbeat of this family. Because our lives eternally depend upon that. That's what Paul is saying. He said that the Bereans search daily, they examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was a good feeling and would bring great self-fulfillment and would help you to find the ultimate experiences in life. Is that what they said? What the Greek text literally says is to see whether it actually is. That's what's really important. What the Bereans can believe, and then it says, if you do that, if you have an open heart, what, what what happens in your life, then it moves you to respond. If you'll have an open heart, if you'll eagerly want to hear God's voice, if you critically examine the scripture, then what's gonna happen? It says, when they heard it says when the, it says many of the Jews believed. So many of the Jews in the Sealing God believed, many of the prominent Greek women believed. So in order to accurately understand the Scripture, you're going to be taught in classrooms that the Bible is very chauvinistic and women are always treated like possessions and women are never applauded for having honorable positions. Is that true? Everyone tell me, is that true? If you hear that in a classroom or if you hear that at work, what are you going to do? You're going to say, wait a minute, have you read the book of Acts? I read the book of Acts this past week. And in the book of Acts, some of the first people to receive Jesus of the Messiah in a culture that was absolutely very chauvinistic. Some of the very first people that the scripture records that re- believed in Jesus were prominent women. You see what it's teaching? See, that's how we have the balance. Should women be respectful of their husband? Yes. Can a woman have a prominent position in a city? Are we the church family? No, she's a woman. She could never be the mayor. Is that what scripture teaches? You see, what I'm teaching you like as you read the book of Acts and you listen really carefully, there were prominent women. Should a woman be in business? Lydia, she was the first convert in Europe. Was she a bad girl or a good girl in this story? Good girl. And what I'm trying to teach you is is that, that almost all kinds of people reject the Bible, and most of them haven't really read it carefully. And and most of them have never really opened their heart to what the Bible really teaches. And I want to keep opening my heart because it keeps teaching me. And it keeps helping me become more wise and more knowledgeable in understanding how to live. And I covet that for every one of you. And then it says a lot of Gentile men believed in Jesus. So we have Jews and Gentiles. So according to the book of Acts, the Jews and Gentiles both need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What do you believe? Well, there's enemies. It says some enemies arrived from Thessalonica. It says that when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of Berea, they went there too. They agitated the crowds, and their brothers had to immediately send Paul to the coast. And Paul and Silas stayed to stabilize things in Berea. The men escorted Paul all the way to Athens, which is a long trip. If you look on the map, they went from way in the north of Greece all the way down to Athens. And they left instructions for Silas and Timothy to come and join Paul as soon as possible. I want to close with this. This passage started out saying the brothers helped Paul to escape from Thessalonica. It closes with some brothers that helped him get all the way to Athens. I want us to have the Holy Spirit produce those kind of brother relationships like he did in the first century church. Because that's what the book of Acts is teaching. I want to ask you how many of you would say dave i've been a berean this week i have searched the scripture daily to find truth if i did ask you to raise your hand how many of you would say dave i haven't looked at the bible since last sunday i don't want you to feel guilty anymore so this morning you're going to make a decision i'm going to read the bible so you can just take the book of acts this week start in chapter one and just read all the way up to chapter 17 and then you'll be all caught up you can make a decision to do that this week okay the second thing I want you to think of, as a church family, as Midlothian Bible Church, where are we going to find truth? Where are we going to find truth? That's going to determine what happens in a church family. What are we going to do? Like when we gather together and when we meet in our small groups, when we meet in our Sunday classes, where do we believe you're going to find truth? And will we make a commitment to be a Berean? And man, I pray with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is going to move you That you're going to have an open-minded, open heart towards the Scripture. That you're going to let the Scripture be the standard of truth. And it's going to tell you the greatest method of all, which we can be forgiven. Whatever, whether we're adulterer, like real hunter can be totally made new. Those that have homosexual tendencies, those that practice homosexuality, they can be changed. Those that are unjust to the poor, they can be totally changed and they can be in the power of the resurrected Jesus. They can live for meeting the needs. That's what we believe. But we don't arrive at the change of life by redefining what the Bible says about the Ten Commandments and what it says about morality and what it says about truth. One final thing. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior yet, then the most precious thing you could do is, this would have to do with truth, okay? Okay? I've taken Jesus inside of my life. He's become my bread. And the way that he became my bread is he died for me. He was broken. What I want to challenge you about this morning, if you haven't ever received that truth right now, invite him to come in. If you join me in that faith, then declaring that we are brothers and sisters together, opening ourselves up to the freedom and the joy and the power of the new life that Jesus can give us, let's partake together.